Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Oh, oh, there we go. Everybody needs to stop dying. Now we're good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know what's happened though? A a lot of, I haven't had a lot of death in the last few weeks. I realized it even from from Christmas, (laughs) from Christmas till now, which is whatever it's 11th or something, 12th from Christmas till now, I haven't had one person that I deal with die. Like that's a world record for fourteen days. That is days. right. We got a week. We got is a week. There, in- is there a fentanyl shortage out there? Are they running out of Fetty? Is there no Fetty out there? I I don't know what it is, but now that I think about it, I haven't, I haven't heard. I haven't gotten. A- it's a, it's like you can't get. I I don't know, but that's a pleasant surprise for Christmas. Maybe the baby Jesus did that for us all. Yeah, I, it was the sweet baby Jesus. Maybe he maybe he went in there. And and perfectly, um, uh, whatever it's called, uh, monitored the fentanyl so that it wasn't spread in one part of the dope or another part of the dope. Maybe he just made it all perfect just for the holidays, just for his birthday. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> Evenly I, distributed. I, you know, that is sad that it took you mentioning that for me to realize I, it has I, been I, I a solid three it. weeks. It's crazy. Yeah. This is maybe something's happening. Wouldn't it be wonderful? You know what I mean? It would be so wonderful if uh, we didn't need treatment centers because people just got it together. And well, well, get it together. Like that's a whole other thing. Like I, I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know that most of the clients, yeah, most of the clients it. I've been, most of the clients I've been dealing with the last five years aren't going to be getting it together. Well, in just, that way that we're just enough about. to be able to get their EBT cards and their their checks. That's what I well, mean. Well, here's just one to, thing though. I don't, it was weird. Like I realized a a friend of mine has never criticized his kid. And I realized like, wow, that kid's in for some real emotional disturbances in about, about 10 more years. Right. Cause me and Elvis really get into it now. He's 11 going on 19. (laughs) No, we get into it. And I have to say like, you're 11 years old. Shut up. (laughs) <laughs> you're not an adult mm-hmm. you're not equal to us right but right. i have this friend that, but, that, that treats his kid like an adult and i i just thought like the kid has really never get, been called on the carpet about anything boy just wait till life really happens like will it happen at school no because the schools fall in line with the perfect you know snowflake attitude <laughs> right so <laughs> yeah, so so these children really are going to go along if their parents don't tell them you know you're a fuck up or you fucked up um or you're wrong time or, or you're you wrong, might want to yeah or, you might or, well what elvis does is he tries to tell us how we're parenting sydney right oh <laughs> hey like we're not Perfect. we're not parenting right mm-hmm. right and so so it gets really annoying after a while that he's like dad you know you talk to me differently than you talk to Sydney. I said, you're 11 and she's five. I hope I talk to you guys differently. He goes, well, you're so hard on me. I said, Elvis, I'm not nearly as hard on you as I should be. I love you. 
you're my precious boy, but but <laughs> Sydney, yeah. but Sydney, a hardly does anything wrong because she is five, and you don't deal with a five year old the way you deal with an eleven year old. Right. right. There's not willful dis. There's not as much willful disobedience for the five year old. So, right. He's so hyper focused on that, right? That we had to have a sit down talk with him and uh, me and Christy and he in this room. Of course, Sydney kept knocking on the door. <laughs> like mm-hmm. she was like a good codependent. She was going to defend him and like stop us from from parenting him, right? Well, and so yeah. we we just all we said was, "We're adults. We're the parents." You're the middle kid. You're older, so you're going to have more responsibility, and you're going to, and you're argumentative, and you're feeling your oats, and you have opinions about everything, and and we're going to have to, you know, have these discussions once in a while, right? And I and then I was ta- I was telling this friend of mine, and he said, "Oh, I've never done that to so and so his kid," and I was like, "God, you've never." He's got an eight year old son. I was like, "You've never like had to." parent him is really what it sounded like right and he made me it made me feel like i'm bad for you know for criticizing or 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 parenting what i consider criticizing is like a a strange word because i know people don't like it but parenting and saying that is not acceptable you are not a her parent you are not equal to us parents you're you're older but you're a child and so, it, it, but it's out. called posit- positive redirection. Sometimes that's uh, the clinical term is redirection. When something's happening and you don't like, you change the way way it's going, and you want him to learn from it. I mean, and luckily for you, he's your kid, so you're you're going to have your hands full. Well, no, he's, he's definitely <laughs> he loves to argue. I wonder uh, where he gets that from. Yeah, but but, but 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 who doesn't, especially at that age, you know. Once you yeah, start he, he definitely things. he you know what I noticed he was in the bathtub the other day and he has hair under his arms. I was like, holy fuck, he is becoming a man. Mm-hmm. He's got uh-huh. like just shocking. Like he was a little baby boy just like two years ago. Now he's got hair under his arms. Mm-hmm. Holy mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that you used to carry him like a football. Like a football. I carry I carry I just around like I just he Idris has been teething and he's been driving me nuts, and so I do pick him up like a football right under my arm and yeah. just walk around with him. And you can feel you can feel that he's just like, this is rad. This is fucking rad. This is a rad. <laughs> this is a rad angle. And I don't talk to him and I don't acknowledge him. I just carry him around the house <laughs> like a football. <laughs> And he doesn't cry. He stops crying. Boy, that teething is fucked, right? Think about all the people that, that I don't know. I don't want to get into religion, but just the idea that like little babies have teeth gnawing and breaking through their gums. I mean, we are, <laughs> we are not immaculately conceived. <laughs> well, you know what? We're, we're taught, we're taught early on that pain is a part of the struggle. It's not called growing pleasures. It's growing pains. You know, it, it's rough. Everything we do, there's pain involved. Life is not meant to be pain free. You know, well, it's, it starts at nine months old. I can tell you that he chews yeah. on the he chews on the bottom of my seltzer water can. He just gnaws <laughs> at it. 
If he starts chewing on the furniture, you're going to have to do something. (laughs) And then then we'll talk because we're going through all the teeth stuff. Like Elvis got all his teeth now, but Sydney's losing teeth and new teeth are coming behind. And now Idris is getting teeth. And so (laughs) one of my most, one of my molars fell out. Like it started oh, no. to crack and it started to crack and whatever. And I was having terrible teeth pain for a couple of days. And finally I just got pissed and I sat at the kitchen sink and put hot water in my mouth and I pulled it, what was left of it out. And then I put it on the counter and I told everybody in the morning, I did it like mid- midnight, one o'clock in the morning, everyone's asleep. And I told, and Cindy came up to me and goes, are you going to grow a new one? <laughs> like, of course. No, I do not think so. <laughs> of course. The oh, daddy has unlimited God. teeth. So anyways, it, it just dawns on me that, that somehow the way we were raised, though all psychologists and therapists in the 21st century would say we were traumatized, it was real. It, was, it, it served me well. Being known when you fuck up, when you when you fuck up or you're lazy or you think you know shit you don't, you need to be told in that moment you don't know shit or you fucked up. And we are, haven't been doing that for like 20 years. Literally yeah. have not been doing that. And that has to have some effect on the, the society that, that those kids grow up into. It has to. There's no doubt about it. You know, uh, yesterday, uh, they, you know, the COVID march, like they open the prison gates and then the kids have to march and stand in line. And in the, <laughs> it's an educational industrial complex. So they have to stand in line. And it's freezing cold here in Claremont in the morning. So like, it's like 46. And all these kids are lined up in different classrooms, right? And Sid's was standing there. And all the other kids went and Sid's class was standing there still. And then finally, this kid came running from the other side of the playground. I don't know what had happened, but they were waiting for one kid. And I said to Chrissy, when I was a kid, when I was that age, because we had line up at Catholic school, right? If a kid made us all stand out in the cold, like that kid did, you know, this yesterday morning for like five minutes, we would have we stepped to him. <laughs> and right. told him. Don't be fucking late like that. Me, I know which kids would have, me and Tommy Paletti. We would have just said, you know, we would have pushed him up against the locker and said, don't be fucking late like that. Right. You know what I mean? And that kid would not be late. And then Chrissy said, what would you do if it's a girl? And I said, we would beg and whine and say, please, can't you get there on time? Please. <laughs> but, but oh, what tell I'm the truth, you rough her up. At, at, no, at eight <laughs> years old, nine years old, 10 years old, we were self regulating each other. Call it what you want, but we would step to a kid, get him in the hallway, and say, dude, dude don't, you know, push him a little bit and say, don't be fucking late. We're all standing out there in the fucking cold, right? Mm. That time, mm-hmm. I remember doing that because I was kind of the gang leader. Wrap um, up some bars of soap and some towels. and Yeah, no, not that extreme. But this really is how, how you learn. But, if, but if, if everybody who's frustrated waiting for one kid is told that's bad to be frustrated, and the kid who's late is told, you're fine, you're late, you're irresponsible, you're lazy, your parents are stupid. Come on, it's fine. That's how you get the society we have. 
Don't you understand? Yeah. It's, it, it is kind of 100%. I mean, it, what happened to you at the, the um, Eiffel Tower? You were late. Nope, you missed your tour. <laughs> no, they were like, I mean, fuck you. And that, that's, what I, <laughs> that's what I used to do at Anger Management. They told me, lock the door at 6.30. That's when the group starts. If they're late, they don't get to come. I stopped doing that because I didn't see any sense in prodding people who were there for beating people. You know, but the idea that, um, yeah, you, you'd be on time. You be and, and people did call you out because why should I be punished for what you did? The idea well, here's was, here's the yeah, there's a general sense of, of overall what's happening is the many have to suffer for the few now, right? Right, so we have to make all these exceptions for the few or the, or the minority or this or that, right? That's the if, all the way to the filibuster rule in Washington, the the the, the individual is more important than the group which That's doesn't make happened. any sense right it doesn't the, make any sense right, right. The, you i need to find a way no bug i'm doing something um you know i need to find a way that i can fit into things here the society doesn't have to fit me or i can choose to be you know on the outside of things and find my own way, but that's not the way it, it conflict and compromise are a part of this whole life. If you don't know how to resolve conflict or to compromise or that you're wrong or admit that you're wrong or apologize or change your actions, you're never going to survive in this society or have you're a deep, you're never going to have a relationship at that. You're not well, going to have don't, a friendship. I don't think or, most of these people want relationships. I mean, most of the kids I talk to don't. They, I mean, any, uh, they they don't. The, I'm, I mean, I deal with mostly male clients, but they don't want relationships. They're scared of girls. They don't like it. You know, they they just they're cool unto themselves. I mean, millennials are the least sexually active generation in in, in recorded history. Maybe that's why they're so miserable. I don't know, but they don't want relationships. <laughs> They don't. Might, they don't know how be. because they don't know how to have them. You're right. Can you imagine? Um, can you imagine what life would be like if you didn't have any kids? And then I have a lot of friends who chose to never have kids, and I can't imagine. I mean, not that when I was young I wanted to, but I can't imagine of having a life without doing that. And I know people that are, but they're they're few and far between. I think the millennials are going to be. They're, they're going to be a lot more likely to not be married, not be in long-term relationships, and probably not do families. Because the, uh, the whole idea of getting in a van and moving around and seeing and doing is very, it's all very self-centric. Yeah. So let, let me tell you about this conflict thing, though, because I'm really, I, I guess it's been a lot of conflict because Elvis was out of school for like 24 days or something. It was driving me nuts. So, so. Every great band has conflict at the center of it. Great artistry has conflict. I'll give you an example. Have you seen the Beatles documentary Get Back? Yes. Yes. Are, are you kidding me? What an asshole Paul McCartney is. Yeah, he, I mean, he's a great person now. I've met him several times. Amazing human being. But when he was 27, he was an egomaniacal prick. You can see it. Yeah, he really, everything, nothing happened that he didn't want to have happen the way it did. And, yeah. and, and, and it was, when, I like when George was like, what, you want to get Eric Clapton then? You know, and it's just like, 
<laughs> you know, and then fuck you, I'm out. And I think Ringo, if he'd have had any self-respect, would have walked out too. Don't tell me how to play the drums. I'm the drummer. Yeah, it was crazy to see it. And it's so brave of Paul McCartney to let that come out because he really looks bad. So, and then let's get into Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. They don't like each other. It's pretty obvious they don't like each other. Keith Richards wrote one of the most scathing well, John Lennon wrote, How Do You Sleep at Night about Paul McCartney. Mm -hmm. uh, Keith Richards wrote, You Don't Move Me Anymore, right? A really just, just vicious attack of Mick Jagger. He constantly calls, Joe Strummer used to make fun of Mick Jones and call him Poodle. Do you know that that's <laughs> the nickname they had for him? No, he did Because he was, he was always teasing yeah. his hair up and putting makeup on and looking all like they called him Poodle. Paul Simonon and Joe Strummer used to pick on Mick Jones, right? And that's what led to Mick Jones being fired. Um, the, the Gallagher brothers, the, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Kinks brothers, the Davies brothers. Right, right. All great bands have this bushing of heads, this like, you know, this chaos and this whatever. And I'm telling you, millennials don't know how to deal with that. They run away from it. They just, they refuse to engage in it. So, or, so what they do is they just quit. They is just that why quit. there's no great music? Is that what you're saying? I think it has something to do with it. Some of the best bands explode after one or two albums, too. Yeah, that's all you need if it's the Oasis. <laughs> well, you know, it, it happened, happened with Guns N' Roses. It happened with Sex Pistols. It happened with, it, with a lot of people works. A lot of bands, you know, that explos that explosivity is what what kind of brings the edge, and you can feel it. Shit, the Ramones didn't like each other; they hated each other. Yeah. I toured. I toured with the Ramones. They fucking Joey Ramone and Johnny Ramone hated each other. Yeah, the KKK and so, took my baby and, away. Was and about so how Johnny. could do you understand? Can you understand a millennial staying in that band because the band was more important than their personal feelings? No, no, millennials don't play that game. They don't do that. I know for a fact they don't. If you don't make it all kowtowing to them, they quit or they won't do it or they'll go somewhere else. That's why treatment has become so ruined, trying to entice and attract millennials, mm. right? And make it right for them and whatever. And so I just thought like, God, I like our house having arguments. I like our house. I like when I make mistakes and I have to apologize to my kids. I like hum being human, right. being human. And what's lacking in our society is being human. It's like too much of this after you, after you, like holding the door for each other. Don't want to hurt your feelings. How are you feeling? Oh, I hope you're not. I hope you're feeling good. I, oh, I, shit. I, all of this shit. And my house is is chaos like at a, at a, a four-way stop if everybody's telling everybody to go no one goes someone's gotta go <laughs> someone's gotta go <laughs> you know that's that happens so much in huntington beach there's a lot of four-way stops and i just go you know what i'll go i was the last one here but i'll go because someone's got it i'm not gonna say you're just waving at people does that day. happen a lot where a people lot. just go oh you go after you oh darling. you go oh you go nope i'm i'm don't even wave at me i'm gone I give him the finger that says to wait there like that. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, Chuck. <laughs> so, 
so I really think it's a problem. And I, and I just realized it because we've, we had a bumpy few days around here and mm. there's a lot of discussions, a lot of, you know, crying, a lot of, a lot of bound, new boundaries and new rules and stuff like that. And it was difficult. It was not comfortable. It was not a great week. Right. But I'm willing to have it because I'm not going to collaborate on parenting Sydney with Elvis. I'm not going to. <laughs> you know, I would bet there are people that would say you might want to include him in the parenting. I'm because, sure. So I'm, he sure I'm sure most people would do that. <laughs> yeah, but we don't need we don't need an 11 year old's input. <laughs> it was just it was nuts. But you know what it was? We were all so antsy. Because if you remember, school got out, then it rained for like a week, then it was fucking Christmas, and then it was like this elongated thing till Elvis only went back to school today. Wow, wait. Today. That's a lot it's of home time. Nuts. Yeah. yeah, it was just, and Sydney was already back in school. And so he's at home and Sydney's at school and she's miserable. Why, why do I have to go to school? I'm like, fuck, I don't know. You know, but that's a good teaching <laughs> moment too, because your school's on and his isn't. And maybe yours won't be on sometime too, but it's the same thing with, um, you know, that just sucks. But sometimes we do just have to well, suck Sid it is, up. I want you to know, we already know, Sid is a mini Bob Forrest. So when we told her she's going to get out of school in summer a week earlier, she goes, I don't like that. I'd rather have this week off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, you can't always get what you want. Well, that, is, that has been a theme around here. And nobody's getting what they want. And I think I screamed. I, you know, I didn't scream, but I said, do you think this is what I want? To be cooped up in this fucking house with you guys? No, but this, we got to make the best of it. <laughs> yeah. Because now it's too cold to go outside. It's fucking freezing, by the way. Is it freezing in Huntington Beach? No, but it, we've, had some, ice, we've had some cold evenings. There's ice on my car. There, my car windows are iced over when we get up. Oh, in man, the morning. I hope no one back east is listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the don't die Milwaukee guys, the don't die Wisconsin guys are hearing me complain about how cold it is. Uh, man, there was ice. <laughs> it's like in the 40s. I, mean, I can't remember oh. being in the 40s. It was a beautiful offshore day today at the beach today. It was hot. Well, yeah. no, it was nice today. Sydney had soccer practice today. They Guess what, Mike? I was thinking of you. That field is so fucked up. It's just hard dirt. Somebody must have been playing on that field when it was raining. It was uninhabitable almost. See? She's in a club league now, Chuck. You know what that uh -oh. means? Now here comes the sprained ankles. Money and here, travel. Here comes the fucking never have a moment's peace is what it means. Yep. Money and travel, their, baby. They got their um, uniforms today. She's number 43. You ever heard of a 43 on a soccer team? There's only mm. like nine kids. How can you have 43? There's only, that, there's only there's five at a time on a basketball court. There's no, listen, I already looked it up. She's like, who's 43? And I was like, we'll figure it out. 
there's no soccer player that's successful that's 43. We're having to go to football players. <laughs> oh, <laughs> to yeah, pick yeah. up 40. 43 is a well, you number. Well, there, there's no Kids Hall of Fame, is there? Soccer Kids <laughs> Hall of Fame where they retire numbers or something? Why are they, <laughs> hey, give me a fucking smaller number. What the fuck? Why is, is it 43? Like, oh, my God. She, you know, and then her, the girl, remember a year ago, the girl, who beat her ass, and then that's how Sydney wanted to be good at soccer. Yeah, yeah. She's on her team now. Oh, team. And oh. they're the they're the two best, and they were kicking ass tonight. Now they'll be best friends. Well, we told the parents that that's what inspired Sydney, and they were so touched by that. You know what I realized? I'm going to talk about a simple thing. So we were standing next to it, and I said to Chrissy, "That's the number ten that inspired Sid." And she said, "Yeah, she's on her team." And I was like. And then the parents cheered for their daughter. And I went over to them and I said, is that your daughter number 10? And um, they said, yeah. And they said her name. And I said, oh, my gosh, I want to tell you a story. And I told the story and the mom was so touched. And she said, thank you so much for sharing that. And you know what? In the moment when she said, thank you so much for sharing that, what she really meant is nobody talks like this anymore. Right. Nobody talks to complete strangers and gives them praise and says, your daughter is so great at soccer that, that the first game of the season, my daughter played against your daughter and your good daughter scored like eight goals and kicked my daughter's ass and she wanted to quit soccer and she was crying in the car. And I told her, do you want to quit or do you want to be good? And she said, I want to be good. And I said, be good. And you can play number 10 again and you can try to beat her. And now they're on the same team. This is over a year period of time, right? No one time. I realized like that. My, my family always talk like that. Uh, me and Mike and all our friends always talk like that. I realized there's something about no one talks like that anymore. You just think, oh, it's not my business. Oh, I don't want to talk. I don't know these people. I, you know what I mean? And I just wanted them to know, like your daughter, because Sydney's kind of known now in, as a soccer player. I say your daughter's the one that inspired Sydney to practice and be good, right? Right. And, well, and just that nobody has ever said that to them. I'm sure of it. Their daughter is so fucking good, man. That's, so that's good. A, that's a totally a generational thing, though, too, because I, I work with people in their 20s and 30s. And when I say, man, I appreciate you being here, you handled that, man. That was something I didn't have to do because you were here today. And they just look shocked because they're not used to people in uh, there. They're not used to hearing out loud. I go, I man, I just wanted to tell you because you don't know what I'm thinking. You know, the idea of catching people doing something right. That's what you did. You know, you caught you told those parents something positive about their kid when everybody else just keeps it to themselves. That's, that's fantastic. It's communication. And, and that, and, and vice versa. When somebody fucks up, you should be honest. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, our, and, our and, parents used to be my, I had neighbors drag me home to my mom and dad. And oh, what I, I was told, doing. I told Elvis what my dad used to say. My dad would always make a point to tell me and my sisters, this is my house. You live here because you're my kid. As soon as you're an adult, you will only live here if I allow you to. <laughs> right? He's very specific just about how the world works. This is mm -hmm. my house, not your house. You keep calling it your house. No, this is my house. 
You live here because you're my child. <laughs> well, you know what? I can share the house with the kids. I don't have a problem with that. But they're not going to no, make the rules. No, but it gives them an idea that you want to go have your own house. Yeah. Right. Your own life. Yeah. But yeah. how many people in their 20s and 30s and even 40s are living at home? I, 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 know, I, know, one, I know one 40-year-old that did. If you don't make it out of your parents' house by your 20s, you're probably just going to live there, right? I, I think you can get stuck on that because there's the weird thing that happens when you have adult people in your home. And I, I, I know it from experience when you when I have an I wasn't I wasn't going to say, but I know, you know, it from experience. But it happens with um, with single parents a lot, too, because the the kid is. And, and I know a couple of these cases that are friends of mine that they're they've spent their whole lives, you know, quote unquote, taking care of their mom. But they're just waiting for them to die so, so they, they can, can get the house. house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Chuck, yeah. let's get back to Chuck. You did have your adult son living with you. I recall it, Chuck. Oh, it's freaking horrible. <laughs> you know? um, especially once they get a little taste of being on their own. You know, they get a little taste of being on their own and then they, they think they can take that world in here. And, I, you know, I got to tell them, you know, I'm sorry, but that's not the way it does work here. And just to maintain a sense of sanity, how many um, leaders can you have? You've already got a male and a female alpha. You don't need any more than that. Yeah. And, the, and that's when the not so you can go from here's the thing. You go from collaborative childhoods to roommates as adults. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny that there's like, there's no, there's not a lot of, sh there's no shame attached to it either. It's just like, we used to laugh at people. It's like, dude, he still lives at his mom's. I know. <laughs> well, well, and you would say it to that person. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Nobody says anything to anybody anymore, good or bad. But you know what they do say? political shit that doesn't matter about anything <laughs> it's true the only opinions we give are not human they're just they're just political opinions they're concepts right? <laughs> they're like well you know i don't like trump okay Whoa, I did you're oh you're a horrible person <laughs> like that's the only real stuff that goes on not like dude you're 30 years old you live at your parents aren't you ashamed of yourself <laughs> oh there goes there goes our listenership <laughs> all our basement dwelling listenership <laughs> no and here's the thing here's what was fucked up about my life so my dad was really successful when i was younger right he had he had um he had a good business and he was very successful he bought my two older sisters their first homes then he fucking loses everything. And me and my other sister get shit. We get jack shit. We get well, that's not fair, Bob. That's fucking not fair. <laughs> it's good thing you learned how to deal with the not fair because life ain't. Man. That was so man. fucking not fair. Where's my sometimes, house, Dad? Sometimes I'll be sitting doing, I'm not, I don't technically do the intakes anymore, but I pretty much have the info from, from several multiple conversations with the addict and the family and whatever. And I'm sitting there and what is identified the, as these traumatic events, you know, like 
a friend of his committed suicide when he was in high school and like mm-hmm. that ex- that oh that explains everything yeah. <laughs> it all makes sense it all makes sense yeah. so, he's on, so he's on fentanyl he's never had a job and he lives off you and tells you to fuck off because his friend died 10 years ago mm-hmm. right and then i'm sitting there with my trauma list my sister's my mother. My dad committed suicide when I'm 15. I was out on my own at 17. I've never looked back. No one's ever helped me. No one's I've had to depend on my own wits and my friends and relationships with people to survive. I've lived in, I've slept in laundromats. I've been homeless. Like, and I'm sitting here with all that list, listening to the reason why this kid is such an asshole is because his friend committed suicide when they were in the 11th grade. That's the mm. only trauma. That checks out. <laughs> but you know what it's like to have all the trauma that's real trauma? Oh, sex- I forgot. Chuck, sexually abused by a neighborhood dwarf at five, five, six, seven, eight years old. Uh, so, I, so by a neighborhood dwarf? Well, he wasn't he had he had he had something where he looked like a child, but he was older. But I don't want to get into it. So, <laughs> no wonder you don't like clowns. Why? You had a man-sized penis. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, see, you couldn't say that in treatment. <laughs> so, 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 but listen. So, so, what? What is the trauma? And me and Evan, when we were writing this book, we're talking about it. The trauma is the co- the collaborative childhood. The trauma is having parents that aren't parents. The trauma is never being told you fucked up. Or you can't. That's more, that's more traumatizing than your dad killing yourself, I think. It's more debilitating. It is. These kids don't even know how a, laundry, a, a washing machine works. Right. <laughs> they don't know. They have no sense of individual self. Everything wanna, is a collaboration with their parents. I want to review, Bob, the one story you told me about the girl making um, boiling water for the first time. <laughs> well, that was that that was Doctor Drew's story. That uh, uh, no, mine was a girl kept. Uh, you know, I don't want. I want to disguise it so that she doesn't feel bad because she's sober now and she listens to this. But she might like uh, it. So, oh, but now she knows. She, but uh, you know, anyways, she she could get the boys in the rehab to do her laundry for her. Mm. You know what I mean? She's just, you know, she's had that charismatic thing. It wasn't nothing to do with sex. Just like she could just make people do what she wanted them to do. And, you know, and I found out about it and I went over there and I was like, you know, you can't, you know, people were doing errands for her. She had the whole thing running, you know, Chuck, I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I once in a while. An entrepreneur. Yeah. She was getting that people were buying her vape things, the things that go mm-hmm. in the vapes. And yeah, yeah, pick me up a hundred of them or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's rad. I love it. And so I and I went over and her room was a mess and I got all the shit and I put it in the laundry room and I said, You're gonna you're gonna clean this room and you're gonna act like an adult. And she broke down when I was saying, put it in the washer, and like I was overseeing it. And then I, we were standing there and I said, okay, you did it. Okay. And she didn't turn it on. And I was like, we'll turn it on. And she broke down and she said, I don't know how to turn it on. I don't know how it works. I said, you've never, I realized like she's never done laundry. 
Yeah. Parents always on, did. Parents always did her laundry, right? Right. At the very least, like I mean, I know some pretty successful people's kids. They know how to a washing machine works, right? I asked one of my friends, his kids, just amazing. I said, how the fuck do you raise a kid like that growing up in Beverly Hills and all this stuff? And he goes, well, it got weird because in the beginning, I didn't know what to do. And then I just defaulted back and raised him the way I was raised. He got an allowance. He had chores in Beverly Hills, Chuck, in a huge mansion. This kid had chores and did, right. and, did and had an allowance, huh, right? turned out great but yeah. this this kid that i'm talking about like came from upper middle class but but just that weird doing for everybody all the time mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and i and i did talk with elvis this weekend about his room being messy he cleaned that room up in like seven minutes right mm-hmm. but you know i would go in there and say give me that give me that like get his dirty dishes out and whatever finally i said you, this room needs to be presentable. That if somebody came over to our house, the, you could walk in here and he would think that this is a neat, tidy bedroom. That's what I told him. And I said, make it neat. And I shut the door. I went back like five minutes later because I thought he wasn't doing anything. It was all clean. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Pick up, the, pick up the dirty clothes off the ground. Take the dirty dishes into the kitchen. Throw away your empty water bottles. Right? Straighten yeah. shit up. Put and the because up on your bed, because it's the right thing to do, because that's how we live in this house, right? Right, and and but but you have to be on top of that, and you have to be able to have those tough conversations. And I want to, you know, encourage everyone: if you don't, if anybody who's a parent of young kids, if you don't listen to us your kid's going to end up in rehab. I promise you. <laughs> I fucking promise you. They might not even be drug addicts. I think half the kids in rehab aren't even drug addicts. Not in the classic sense of like the three of us are. Right. But they're so non-functioning, that's where they will end up. I, I think I think that's why so many of them are so resistant, resistant to what it takes to get sober because they're not like, they're aren't on death's door. They're not at the last house on the block. It's all fun and games still. They're just, they found an easy way to get off the street and uh, heal up, get some food. And are you still pro, are you still pro marijuana, Chuck? Not that I'm pro marijuana, but I'm not against it. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of them are addicts, but they are into hard drugs that you can die from. And I've been just trying to encourage them, like just steer clear of like, meth and fentanyl just steer clear of that you know what i mean that that's what our what that's what our industry has has allowed itself to fall to it's become harm reduction and not treatment you know that's funny because uh i was at bugs karate tonight and for some reason i was scrolling through the dopey pages the one place there should be peace and harmony you know dopey has the, the uh, yeah yeah are they arguing about these arguing people? About these pot? Pe- they're all arguing about all sorts of things. And this Misty girl who was like a moderator, like left the site because people <laughs> are so busy. People are so busy telling each other what's right and what's wrong. It was actually about Gabriel Mate, And he had a, he w- did an interview with Dave and he told Dave that, um, you know what? A little bit of Adderall might help you with that ADHD. So this argument started 
about right. whether Dave should take the Adderall or not. And there was actually one part where somebody said, I wish Bob Forrest could chime in on this because he'd tell him. Oh, you know? <laughs> and so your name is being used. <laughs> but it's is just the anti where, it's not it's not my business to tell you how to live your life. I don't need to tell Bob Forrest or Mike Mart or Warren Boyd or anybody else how to do what they do. We're doing what was working best for us. I don't believe it's the only way. I, I know it's the only way that's worked for me. And I don't want uh, let's let's stop right there. I think it's a rare way. I think it's becoming more rare. The experience I think we're like the last people coming in the doors. I think you can't deny that the fact of that we provide medically managed care. Just when we all started being involved with that, yeah, it was Matt, a slippery. It was, yeah. it was a slippery slope down to what we've got now. But but I'm saying that a weed smoking, you know, uh, semi functioning uh, person. That th that's a better life than just going to rehab over and over again. I really believe that. I believe I've watched kids become less and less functional as they are year after year in a different sober living and a different rehab. And they went to Texas and they came back to Orange County and then they went to Florida and now they're in Malibu. This is not. It's not teaching personal responsibility. It's not teaching autonomy it's not teaching anything and i believe like getting out there get a job as a, you know get out there and try to have a make a life for yourself and you can always call me i have like dozens and dozens of kids that can always call me and they do or they text me like having a hard time the girlfriend left me it's a lot of the girlfriends leaving them a lot of girlfriends leaving people because they just smoke pot and play video games <laughs> <laughs> they, they need we need to have a house like fetty manor but just for <laughs> potheads that just want to play video games and they could just all <laughs> well, put a doritos I, I dispensary in the I hallway can't, i can't criticize the, the video games like that was uh, let me tell you my history with video games me and sam my ex-wife elvis's mom were so anti-video games when we met i was anti-video games i hadn't played a video game since Tetris, right? I okay, just that's a good one, though. I constantly criticized people who played video games. I thought it was the most ridiculous thing. And this is in 2003, 2004, 2005. And that's when Call of Duty came around. The or no, Grand Theft Auto. And I had adult friends that were playing this video game. And I used to just eviscerate them. Like, you are <laughs> fucking lame as shit. Right. <laughs> and so and so the first three and a half, four years of Elvis's life, he didn't even know what a video game was. And we kept pretty. And then, of course, we separated and got a divorce. And I was over at a friend of mine's house with Elvis and his two kids were playing video Minecraft. I remember the first time Elvis saw it. And I was like, <laughs> holy shit, holy shit, this is what divorce gets you. God damn it. <laughs> right? Because when you have a when you're a weekend dad, you gotta go around other people and like try to get out and about. You got nothing at yep. your house. I was, you know, <laughs> you know, you I saw a yeah. lot of you right yeah. when I got 
separated. When I was separated is when you and I met, Chuck, I think. When I was living okay. in Beechwood. When I was living yeah, in Beechwood. Yeah. So, yeah, like Elvis had a closet for a room, right? You know, like yeah. it was downstairs closet that I converted into a bedroom. So, so I had to get out and about and go over to friends' houses and go to Disneyland and go to the Universal Studios because I just had a one-bedroom apartment, right? And so we were over with his friends and there's Minecraft. And I remember him looking at it and saying, and looking at me and I, the glow of Minecraft was on his face. And he said, what is that? And I said, that's video games, Elvis. We don't like those. that is your future. <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> like it's just Minecraft all day long around here. Roblox and fucking Robux and just well, no, but in, in and of itself as a, as a form of entertainment, it's not bad. It's just when any single thing dominates someone's life, right? Well, I do, do, you don't think it's bad for 22-year-old kids to be playing video games all day long? I think it's I bad. Think when, I think when they don't have a job and they're in treatment and they want to go home at 1230 and just but play video games and lay around the house. But if we're going to criticize that they don't know how to have relationships, that's a major reason why they don't. And there's, you know, we've talked over this hard week here about video games. And I, I hate that, that screen time bullshit and all the limits. We should just be able to say to each other, enough, Elvis, you got to go outside. And that, that used to work up until about a year ago, right? And then you just, it, it really did. But then he got hairy armpits, dude. <laughs> now you're up <laughs> so against fun. it. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, this is, mark this podcast. This is when Elvis became a teenager <laughs> this week, right? He, you know what he said, a heartbreaking thing? He said, Dad, do you love me as much as you love Sydney? And I said, oh, my God, Elvis. And I said, more so. You're my, you, it was just you and me, like, for fucking five years, Elvis. Come on. And that could never, you know. You but, can't uh, say like more I, so. You got to say equally, Bob. I did, I did say more so because he and I have a special thing. And Chuck knows. Yeah, Chuck yeah. was around it. Like we lived in a one bedroom apartment, like with nothing. Like, you know, it's yeah. very special. He and I have a special relationship. Me and Sid are a family. This is a family. This is a collaboration. This is like Chrissy's there and I just there and grandparents are here. Motorhome. Motorhome, RV. <laughs> yeah, like, big trips. So so yeah. I believe you are bonded by trauma, by hard times, by difficult things oh, yeah. and elvis elvis was all i had it was all i lived for like i was up against it right yeah. and yep. and we have a very special relationship and he needed to hear that i think right because it yeah. is hard it is hard for for kids to fit in together and whatever he it's does he does need to hear that that's that's why he asked you know and that's why it's important that we tell people that we care about that we care about them right Sid, Sid, Sid doesn't need to. Sid knows that she's the center of things. Like I, you know, there's just something about her. Like you watch her at school. She's only been to the school like seven weeks. She's got like four best friends. They all want to be her best friend. They want to have sleep. <laughs> they want to have sleepovers and, and like. Like, we don't even know you yet. You can't be sleeping over It's here. because she's going to start the first viable third party in American it politics. Maybe. <laughs> she might. I hope somebody does. I'd like <laughs> her to somebody, do it. 
Well, it's she's at least going to have somebody doing their laundry for her. <laughs> yes, yeah. It can go either way. She can, yeah, exactly. She can either be in rehab having somebody else do her laundry for her, or she could be president of the United States. Can't tell yet which way it's going to go. But <laughs> Jesus, I don't, I don't think that's the only two options. I think there's but, some, but gray, the thing. No. But, some gray but, there. But here's the thing. All p- kids are special and unique, and you have different relationships with them. You just right. do. It, my funnest child relationship was actually the worst, probably, is Elijah. I just remember, Mike, you remember. It was just so fun. I like being a junkie rock musician with a kid. It was just so great. <laughs> yeah. I, I often, I often have- thought of us like Marlon uh, Richards and Keith and, and, yeah. uh, and uh, what's her, what was it, the mom's name? Anita Pallenberg. Like, I really thought of that. All you had to worry about when you brought him on the stage was whether he had earplugs in. That's yeah, it. no, he didn't. He didn't really have them in. Uh-oh. That was before earplugs. <laughs> but I mean, there's lots of scenes in Bob and the Monster where he's around at shows all the time. And he lived in a hotel with me for like months and. You know, he went on you know, dope runs with being me. loaded takes <laughs> all the God. it takes being loaded took all the fear out of being a parent for me. <laughs> and then as soon as I got sober, I went, Holy shit, I can't believe my kids are still alive. But that was a fun uh, like and he's yeah. starting to re- he's starting to remember it more fun. When he was in his doom and gloom 19, 20, 21, it was like all because of that. And I was like, Lige, we had a lot of fun. Dude, you, yeah, you had, we had a lot, a of, lot fun. of fun. Like I would just, you know, I would because he would, he, I don't know. It was just he was everywhere. He went everywhere with me because I didn't have, I didn't know what I was doing. I just put him, and and I didn't even have a car seat in my car. Right, I just well, put him wow. in the. I put him in the back seat with a seatbelt on. I remember. I, I don't know if t- you should be telling the world got, all this. You I know, got might show up at your door or not. We all yeah. grew up without car seats. How old are they supposed <laughs> to be in car seats? Because he was like three, and I remember I had this. Well, they this, kept changing it. They I got a making- ticket. I got a ticket for it, but wasn't that big of a deal? Yeah, like, well, first was, it was supposed to be like four years or 40 pounds, and then it went to like eight years and 80 pounds. And now I think they've got to well, be Well, what do you think it was like something. in 80, 1989? He was born in oh, 86 and he was recall. three. But yeah, yeah. and they said, you know, your, your, your child's not in a car seat. And I said, yeah, I can't afford one. I was driving a BMW. <laughs> 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 I told them I can't afford one. But was there even a seatbelt law at that time? I know in like... Yeah, 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 there was. Oh, no, yeah, guys, there was seatbelt yeah. There were airplanes too, Chuck. No, there weren't. I had heroin in my mouth too, by the way, Chuck, if that makes you feel better. I like it that. It was a miracle we drove away from that. I used to cop mm-hmm. dope with my dog in the car. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. (laughs) I was sober by the time I had kids. Thank God, you know. Right, but I was not, and and it was fun. Each each relation. Don't you feel that way, Chuck? That you have different relationships with each different of your kids, and everybody probably looks at Bug and says, "Oh, that's your favorite." Blah 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 blah. Right. I'm sure. Do they? Uh uh-oh. Yeah, but you know what? The, the understanding is that you love all kids differently, right? That's what I'm saying. It's, and you're it's not, not supposedly you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to love them all equal. You tried to suggest, or Mike tried to suggest, I couldn't say that that Elvis was special to me. 
Wait, wait, no, I just said I you can't special... give it. A, you can't give it a number like a one to ten type of thing. I love you more is like, well, okay, do you, do you love me like nine or ten, and then Sydney only five or six? You know, that was the next question coming, right? Well, the mm. unhealthy part was how much I needed him. Oh. I'll admit that I needed Ooh. him. I I probably didn't kill myself because of him. Yeah. Right? right. Well, you know, that's... and so you so... might wait until you get older to tell him when Tiggy gets older. <laughs> Before you lay that one on him. You so, know what? I, I, this, so now this, I'm going to ask the final thing, which I've been so nervous to ask Chuck, oh. the, lead, the leading authority on morality. Uh -oh. So Elvis. Oh, Jesus. Elvis. <laughs> well, you are. You're somebody I admire and I look up to on what's what's the generally the right good guy <laughs> thing to do. Right? It's okay. not me and Mike Mark. It's not me. He's oh. not looking to me, Chuck. Um. I'm not looking at myself either. So I'm going to tell you something. So Elvis, Elvis was so having this crying and, and hugging and wanted to sleep in the bed with us and all this kind of stuff. He was really feeling emotional this weekend, right? And so I, and he, I said, he was in the bathtub, and I said, what do you want to watch? Because we have a TV in there. And he's and that, <laughs> and that makes him that makes him stay in the bath longer. Like a kid, okay. like a kid he needs he, he needs a wash. Like he only takes a bath like three times a week. It's, he's got to sit in there, so he'll sit in there for like forty five minutes if he can watch the show. So I said, "What do you want to watch?" And he said, "Bob and the Monster." Uh, and I said, "Because he's asked before, and Sydney has asked before." Uh, and I don't because Sydney sees it pop up and she says, is that a movie about you? And I said, yeah, but it's, it's not for kids. And huh. finally, Elvis asked. I just looked at him and I just thought, OK, some of it's going to be really rough. And you got to tell me if you don't like it and you want to turn it off or fast forward. And he said, OK. And so I turned it on and I, let, I was going to leave the bathroom. And he goes, no, no, sit here with me and watch it. So I sat with the toilet seat down. Uh. In the bathroom, and we watch about 45 minutes, 50 minutes of Bob and the Monster. And he was like, you were really bad on drugs. And I said, I've always been honest with you. Yeah, I was. And he asked a lot of questions about drugs, right? He's 11. It's excellent. about time. It's about time. Right. No, I think that's excellent. It's, that, it's that part coming. Of it for sure. It's coming. And he asked, he asked. If here's an interesting question, want to know one of the questions he asked? If alcohol is is um, worse than drugs, and I said, you know that that's a question even us adults can't really figure out. Um, it's more destructive on the human body, right? And 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 I said the thing that you and I we looked up last week. I said, Elvis, you know, I didn't know until a week ago, 90,000 people a year die from drinking too much, like too much in one sitting. I had no right. idea. Like, so alcohol is bad, but mostly what counselors and people like me and everybody in rehab world says that they're the same. But, and I don't want to say drugs are better because they're not, but alcohol is really, really bad. It's really, really an awful drug. It's, it's one, of, it's one of the worst drugs to me. Yeah, it really is. But wasn't that interesting? He zeroed in on those are vital questions. Drugs. That is that is some heavy parenting. 
and putting some stuff out there. I, I really like the way you did that with a, hey, man, if there's any questions or if there's something that's confusing, because he's 11, that means he is going to school with kids who have drugs in their house and are exposed to it all the time, or kids that have tried drugs by now. We know that 11 is not too old to start, right? It's not too old to start. But right, here, so. here's the thing that, you know, I just felt like, you know, he's, this is his dad. This isn't a documentary he's watching about somebody else. This is his dad. He saw it in all its glory. And he, his reaction was, you were really bad on drugs. And I said, I've told you, I've been pretty honest with you. And he goes, seeing it's different, though. Like, there's mm -hmm. scenes of me doing drugs in that movie. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. And so, but I thought it, he, he, he loved it. And he said, and once it got, here's an interesting thing. Once it got to where he's, aware of which is recovery and us me mike you and me playing at the the warp tour and all that he got bored yeah. and he said well i know all this part <laughs> uh, but bob did you follow it up with the with a reiteration of it's a story of redemption and rebirth and you know and me uh, you know he's he's only grown up knowing me as this guy that rescues people and all this and i try to minimize that you know he, like people have walked up to him and like walked up to me at places and so yeah, I introduced to him and he says, your dad saved my life. I mean, yeah. he's been hearing that since he was five years old and he didn't even know what that meant. So he's pretty familiar with recovery and helping people and all that. Right. But he had, and he had known that I was an addict, but he had never seen it. And so I, I just, I, so you don't think it's bad, Chuck? Mm -hmm. Dude, are are you comfortable with it? Because if you're comfortable with it, that's all you I'm need totally to know. I'm totally comfortable with it, but we live in a time where you get attacked for everything. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so what a week it's been. I'm, and, and things got back to normal today, but I don't really feel normal. I don't like them going back to normal either. I don't know. Uh -oh. the, the first couple weeks of vacation <laughs> were so great, and then it's just been all downhill from there. <laughs> oh, well it, you know, it is all it, it is all getting back from, no from the day after christmas it's been really rough you guys haven't you, you've been having an all right time oh after christmas i was like so relieved and everything just got beautiful oh, mine's the exact opposite well you know omni came along right after at christmas too and i was yeah, all that you know it doesn't exist for me anymore I, i'm tired of it I've been back. I've been. I've had three shots. You did well. Uh, I was at soccer practice. I was at soccer practice tonight with uh, you know forty parents wearing masks outside, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I'm not wearing god. masks outside anymore. No more. I'm not wearing masks. There was outside. one dad that wasn't. I tried to stand next to him. I pulled my mask down, but then I felt like the other parents were looking at me, talking to the non-mask guy with my mask down, and like this whole we got to stop being mean to each other. We just got to yeah. stop being mean to each other. You know, fuck. And, if, and they, if they want to say it's about you, you know, it's about other people and blah, 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 blah. I, no, it's not. I don't like wearing them. I'm, I'm about me. Fuck you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that, no, you know? true. You know, that gets back to the, what is going on. The, the singular human is more important than the masses of people. We need to, uh, all 100 million people need to compromise for one individual. And they're right. 
height. Well, you right? know, at the height, at the height of it, I can see and getting vaccinated. Very this, smart is idea. Of it, this, this is this the height of it. This isn't the height of it. This is this, the height of the infection rate. Dude, the, it's you know, never been is, higher. No, there's 200,000 cases in LA. There's uh, 3,000 people in the hospital and 16 deaths. That's a normal flu season. Right. Well, uh, listen, you're, you're quoting numbers. You're, you're quoting numbers that I've been quoting for two years. Children don't, children don't die from it they don't get it they don't know but at the height of it it wasn't like that the 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 hospitals were overcrowded everybody was in the hallway people were dying yes there was a peak this isn't it this is the follow-up album that doesn't do very well (laughs) this is the second album man the sophomore wait a minute wait a minute this is Is the interesting hold on chuck i got the punchline for you is this fleetwood mask mac Mac Tusk? Is this yes. Tusk? This is Tusk. This is Tusk. <laughs> well, that's a good place to leave it, fellas. <laughs> we are living in Fleetwood Mac Tusk era right now, ladies and gentlemen. It's no, no longer Omicron. It's Tusk. The no, the most anticipated album in music history. By the way, do you know that, Chuck? You're probably too young. I gotta, I gotta I side with Mike air, a little man. bit. Don't, I'm so dumb. I'm a fresh air guy. Uh, you know, like. A- <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Everybody. I'm glad Chuck gave me a thumbs up on being a good dad. See you later. <laughs> I know you are. Don't die. Don't <laughs> die. Don't die. Bye. Bye. Bye.